Hey there, and welcome to the Introverted Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is Denise Lee, and I'm a life coach specializing in traumas and addictions. And today I have a really special guest, Dr. Bob Baird joins me. Dr. Bob is a therapist with over 30 years experience. He helps connect you with your better sense of self and understanding how your messages from your past, as well as potentially your present, is ruining the joy that you could be living right now. We talked about trauma. We talked about addictions. We talked about recovery. And more importantly, we talked about living your best life. If you're interested in understanding who you are and how your past impacted you, and more importantly, how to get past your past so that you can live a happier and fulfilled life. Listen to today's episode. We're going to be talking about all that and so much more coming to you after this short break. Hey, Dr. Bob, how are you doing today? Denise, doing well. (laughs) You know, I'm going to start off this conversation a little bit differently than I normally do with other guests. You know, as you are aware of, but the people who aren't listening are aware of, we have kind of fallen in love with each other via Twitter. And so for those of you guys who don't know, please follow Dr. Bob at D-R-B-O-B-B-E-A-R-E at Twitter and obviously me at Denise G. Lee. But anywho, I want to share with you and obviously those who are listening, a tweet that you made that I definitely want to set the tone for the conversation that we had. So On uh, April 5th of this year, 2023, you wrote, quote, anger gets a bad rap. Many hide it under a smile. Then it's passive and sideways. Repressed anger is destructive, but healthy anger is attractive, authentic, sets boundaries, and lastly, gets bleep done. And... (laughs) I think that really kind of sets the tone for the conversation that we have about why we're not really allowing ourselves to express some emotions, but not others. Yeah. Yeah. I was a little nervous when you said, okay, I'm going to grab one of your tweets. And (laughs) I had no idea where, what direction we're going in. That's a good one though. I'm glad you grabbed that one. Um, Yeah. I think we stuff a lot of ourselves down due to trauma. We got, we were trained to there, there was only certain things that are acceptable in our family of origin. And uh, depending on how much puritanical culture got uh, forced upon us, <laughs> it was another level. And then the culture only wants us to be a certain thing. And uh, from all directions, kids, especially are um, given a whole palette of what they can be and what they can't be. And, and there's a few things, especially for, I would say uh, this is not completely true gender uh, uh, concerning gender, but women get a lot of be nice and be pretty and be right and uh, men yeah. uh, and uh, be good and uh, men get a lot of be tough, uh, fix shit uh, or I, I guess we're so I'll, I'll I'll help you with your post production bleeping and try to avoid some of that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, and, and everybody kind of puts this thing that anger is not good, right? That's of all the things, don't be angry. So what happens when we take anything and we put it in a category of bad? It, it gets pushed to the side, pushed down, pushed away. And what happens to anything? It gets pushed down uh, with pressure. Uh, it's called hydraulics. <laughs> Eventually, it's going to come out, right? 
I mean, and it does come out and it comes out sideways in, um, uh, you know, wondering why my relationship's not working, wondering why I'm in a job that I hate, wondering why. So we just learn how to push down our emotional truth. And then we wonder why uh, life's not going the way we want it to go, right? Absolutely. And uh, for those of you guys who are listening, uh, Dr. Bob wrote a very wonderful book called Stop Doing Bleep You Hate. And we're going to leave a link in that the podcast notes below so that you can be able to access that. And this is the conversation that we're going to be having about the messages that we get. And for so many of us who have been suffering through various addiction issues, we don't really understand the origins of it. We don't really understand why, but we find ourselves just repeating things and comments from messages, like from what females are told about being pretty and guys just doing being strong and not complaining, but it impacts us much more than we even think or realize. Yeah. Most people don't even consider the idea, right? Because when things start going bad, we look for some, we're self-soothing rockets, right? We just want to feel good. So uh, you mentioned addiction. So, you know, I, I, I don't like to proclaim that trauma causes addiction. There's a problem with that because when we start recovery, we have to own everything for ourselves. We're not blaming it on our childhood or anyone <laughs> or anyone else, but we do have to look at what happened because many of us started our careers uh, self-medicating uh, to try to do something with this discomfort that we're carrying in our bodies from trauma. And trauma comes in a lot of forms. Uh, we, I go into it a lot in the book. The, the book, the title is something to grab your attention. Stop doing S-H-I-T you, um, you don't want to do, <laughs> right? The subtitle is a guide to breaking free from trauma and dependency. <clears throat> uh, you know, nobody, uh, you know, none of us got here. We're not in this conversation. You and I aren't pals on Twitter because we're just kind of having fun twitting, right? No, no. We're, we are, we have both crashed and burned a little and survived it. And now it's like, we're living an entirely different life that has a whole nother set of, of principles. And, uh, you know, and, and it's a kind of joy that I didn't know was even possible when I was wandering around self-medicating and completely unconscious uh, that I was medicating uh, trauma and trauma. And it's many, uh, you know, most people think it's just abuse or some kind of PTSD driven explosive uh, abuse uh, or critical incidents like that. But no, there's a wide variety of trauma. I don't know that we need to launch into it all here, but suffice to say that uh, I have not met anyone who has not been domesticated <laughs> to put it in the four agreements language uh, domesticated to some degree away from their authentic path. I'll just kind of leave it at that for that this mm. moment. You know, you had a little excerpt in your book that I, I highlighted and I just kept on going back and back is this, when you were referring to addiction, you said that, remember, once we are a pickle, we cannot go back to being a cucumber. <laughs> It's a the, anybody that's in twelve-step programs for very long is going to hear that. It's one of the many wildly relevant cliches, right? It's uh, uh, 
there's something about it and nobody has really articulated it in scientific terms. So, uh, it gets pushed back a little bit because people think they can go and stop using and then suddenly they're fine. Right? No, there's something that happens in the psyche that gets flipped. And once we cross that line from recreational use, I guess is what people like to call it, uh, to, uh, addictive use, there's something that clicks in the soul, in the body that, uh, we just cannot go back to that clean slate. <clears throat> it's an unfortunate thing. And it's not a great message. People uh, start 12 step recovery, maybe thinking they can come in and get cured real quick. And that's fine, whatever it gets them in the door. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's a lifelong transformational process. So it's not an over we're pickles. <laughs> but it's a blessing when you think about it, because you're gifted with tools and resources that it wouldn't been afforded to you. Had yeah. you hadn't been down the line of just despair and misery. And yeah. I, it, it's a gift of sorts. <laughs> oh, it's a, it's the greatest gift of my entire life, including my daughter who my 20 year old, who's a superstar at, uh, uh, in film school right now. I'm so grateful. Uh, but my biggest gift in my life is my recovery and, uh, I say that because there's so much beauty involved in it. I mean, beforehand, the, the idea to sit around in a circle of people talking about feelings to me 30 years ago, I'm, I hate saying that uh, anything that I've done anything for 30 years, but I've been doing the recovery thing for a little over 30 years. But before that, uh, the idea of sitting around talking about feelings with, it was the very last thing on my list of interesting things to do. Now it's the very top. There's nothing I enjoy more than listening to people talk about the, their experience, their strength, and their hope. But and uh, so, you know we have a blast in twelve step recovery. <laughs> it's a, we are not a glum lot is one of the old, <laughs> old sayings. We and and there, there's a there's a line in the book that they use in Alcoholics Anonymous that I missed for a couple of decades. I guess because I because I wasn't ready to hear it, but it says we absolutely insist on enjoying life, mm -hmm. and that's what's kept me in there. Because I'm I'm kind of a wild man, kind of a crazy. I mean, you better have something interesting for me, or I'm not going to stick with it. So some yeah. some of the stories in there, they're the most you know people in twelve step recovery. In my experience, are the most creative, the most people you know anybody that was chasing alcohol and drugs and sex and rock and roll and all of the intense shit, right. That those are my people. And mm. uh, once they, once we stop doing that and we get together, you talk about a creative bunch with, mm. <laughs> with interesting stories. Oh my God. I'm so grateful. Oh, well, you know, I don't think anything that comes out of a 12 step recovery room can rival a Hollywood script. Um, but <laughs> you know, I I really enjoyed reading your book. I, I mentioned with you and um, at a separate time that I I just couldn't stop reading and just went through a complete pass. And I realized the reason why I could relate and and being so engrossed with it was because you weren't afraid about sharing some really ugly things, specifically about your father along the way of you kind of understanding yourself and would you be so kind to explain why your father was so impactful and why you wanted to include him throughout the book uh well 
my dad was uh, one of those guys that actually walked through uh, footage of snow for five miles to get to school every day. It's, it wasn't just a one of those things that uh, that parents say, you know, I had to uh, do very difficult things, and so you should. No, he actually did, and uh, and then you know he lived his entire childhood as the fifth, uh, sixth child, uh, the youngest one. Dirt. All, most of his childhood was during the depression. So they did not have much. I mean, this guy <laughs> talk about a self-contained self. Uh, uh, he was, he was kind of whole within himself. He really did not need anyone else. I mean, I wish I, you know, I aspired to it, but you know, the counter to that is he's a tough guy, right? I mean, he wouldn't, wouldn't have known a feeling if it came and swatted him until he was, until he was, you know, in his eighties. And he came to one of these men's weekends after I, I just said, Hey, come check this out. This is important to me. And he said, well, what kind of a father would I be if I didn't come And He came and he got more hugs and more tears. And, uh, and also my little nephew at that time had come into his life. So he had four or five years of actually having some feelings, but this is, uh, the archetypal tough guy, uh, uh, with just a massive amount of wisdom collected. And he, uh, he was also extremely witty and a, uh, and a, uh, a ravenous reader. I mean, I used to go to half price books and buy him footage of books. Like I'm mm. holding my hand up like six feet <laughs> tall. Every Christmas, I just buy him stacks of classic books and he'd, he'd read them ravenously. He was just a really unique dude. And, uh, of course, my teenage years and twenties, I thought he was full of crap, right? <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then slowly, I realized just what a wise man he is. My brother and I—he's my brother's nine years younger. Actually, got a cancer diagnosis about a year ago, which has brought us together uh, considerably. And one of the things we've done is started to compile some of my dad's sayings. And actually, there's a lot of them in the book. So. I don't know if I've really answered no. the question, but it's a pretty good combination of uh, being the son of a real uh, tough guy, you know, and he was the son of an even tougher guy. I'm from a long line of them that didn't do feelings. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm a tough guy. I don't think so, but I thought I was. And I thought that the very worst thing I could ever do would be to be vulnerable in any way. Mm. Uh, well, you actually did answer the question, and it was a great segue for me to uh, mention that you had another daughter, and right. it did really shake things up. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you want to share it with, um, share it now about the details, or just kind of just talk about how it impacted, you know, how you viewed life and how you viewed relationships. Yeah. Well, just briefly, actually, someone else mentioned that because uh, I have my 20-year-old daughter now, and sometimes I juxtapose, is that a word? Uh, and I say my daughter, my daughter, and we're not quite sure which of the beautiful uh, daughters that I've had I'm referring to. But back in 87, before a lot of people of your listeners probably were born, uh, uh, I had a daughter that died. She was a preemie. And uh, we did a vigil for three months in the neonatal uh, uh, ward at the hospital. And my wife and I at the time 
thought that this child was going to fix all of our relationship problems. It might have. I don't know. We might have stuck it out. Uh, but uh, anyway, it was quite a vigil, and she died in my arms, and I cracked wide open for the first time in my life since I was a kid. And uh, it didn't take me long to slam shut again. And then, actually, as anybody that's been through anything like that knows, if you do the work, it can bring a relationship together uh, strongly. Uh, but that's a big if, and most people don't. And it, uh, those kind of losses often crash and burn a relationship, which is what happened. And when I finally got it, that my uh, my ex was gone after coming back to the relationship 10 times. I don't know if anybody has ever experienced the push me pull you of relationships. Uh, but finally, I tell this joke, you know, the relationship is over when they're married to someone else. You might want you <laughs> might, might to consider moving on. So uh, actually, I was in so much pain from that, that that's what got me into recovery. You know, a lot of people, uh, are detoxing from heroin or alcohol or cocaine or meth or so I was detoxing from the love drug and, uh, Oh man, it got me to the suicidal regions and, uh, thank God for recovery and the men's movement of the nineties. So, uh, yeah, that was, that, that, that was my cracking open, uh, moment. And, uh, just my body, my body didn't even know it was possible. <clears throat> and it took, that's what it took for me. I want to share a quote um, out of your book. I only stopped using chemicals and external stimuli when the pain became sufficient to ask for help. Encouraging a true addict to cut down is about as effective as telling a psychotic patient that their hallucinations are not real. Yeah. I don't know if it's a great analogy. I don't think it's a perfect analogy, but they are equal in that they're useless that's what it, that that's the point i was trying to make to try to tell a psychotic person that they are not having a vivid conversation with god is a i mean that's therapist 101 we learn to not do that we say oh okay well tell me more about that right because trying to challenge that kind of locked down delusional thinking is useless it's the very same thing as telling a addict to cut down it's absolutely useless there's uh it's called enabling uh, a lot of therapists make that error especially therapists well probably always therapists who are not in recovery themselves uh, who have actually learned that there is no such thing as cutting down for somebody that does, that has become a pickle Mm. They used to be a cucumber. They're a pickle now. There's no cutting down without some kind of a spiritual transformation. And uh the you know, it's 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 a little bit odd. I know it's gonna sound odd to some people, but sometimes I recommend to uh folks to you know not to cut down. In fact, you might want to get to that bottom as quickly as possible. Go do what you need to do to get in enough pain to be able to hear a different set of principles. Uh, so yeah, this is a, I, I just want to mention about this idea of white knuckling since we're talking about it, you know, I've seen a lot of dry drunks or dry addicts that have gone quote unquote years trying desperately to do it on their own terms in their own way. Yeah. Only to regress even far worse than where they first began the, their there's the struggle with the substance or even the chemicals they produce within their own bodies, like addiction to love. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, 
I, I know that you talk about in your books, like, hey, if you want to go out, you're not ready. You might as well just hit rock bottom. Yeah. yeah try not to die. That's sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is the challenge, right? Especially when you're working with a family who's got, who has an addict that they're continually enabling. And then you tell a mom, well, you might have to let go. And he, she says, well, he might die if I do that. And I said, yep. Uh, let's hope not. And, no. uh, it's a tricky, it's a very tricky, uh, uh, balance point. And, uh, you know, we, it's, uh, you know, I fall on the side of, uh, uh, give them an opportunity to feel the pain because there's only one thing that helps. And that's the pain. When people come into treatment to a treatment program, I've been involved in, uh, uh, the addiction business for quite a, quite a while. There's, you know, when, so, when somebody comes into treatment, usually within a week or two, they're ready to get the hell out of there. And, yeah. Right. So and you yeah. only, there's only a couple of tools to keep them there long enough to start that transformational recovery thing. There's only a couple of tools. And uh, the main one is, all right, who's got the money. Mm. Right. It's yeah. like, all right. Let's get them on the phone. And, uh, and then the other one, who's he, who does he love? Let's get them on the phone and make sure that they're coached to let them know that they're no longer enabling them, that they're not going to allow them to be. Because when people are in that addictive cycle, they're just horrific people to be around. Oh, yeah. (laughs) For everybody, you know. And then we'd rather be around a a serial killer at that point. But uh... oh, yeah. It's uh, (laughs) it's like, but and then there, but there's a, uh, desensitization that happens that this, well, this is what we do, right? You know, it takes a lot of training for families to say, no, we're done now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds easy, but it is extremely difficult for families who have fallen into that Al-Anon kind of codependent dancing around the addiction. Uh, you, you, yeah. I, I know that you speak more in, in your, your groups um, about the, the co-addiction uh and i and i hope oh boy that could be a conversation within itself a, yeah. about that where you you're literally just as sick as the addict um, yeah. by enabling and rescuing and 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 giving and literally supplying them the, the drugs to continue the, the circle of dysfunction yeah. but <laughs> i i wanted to just kind of like do a little beeline and talk with you about this you mentioned about their five roots of trauma here we go yes <laughs> ding 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 <laughs> let's get straight to it <laughs> you just uh uh that's a that's probably one of the biggest topics there's a yes the, the follow-up book is probably going to expand on that whole chapter that outlines the the um uh you know what trauma is it's you know it's a thing i i was working with trauma you and i i don't know how long you've been doing this uh, Denise, but uh, we, I was working with trauma way before it became cool. Not that it's cool in any, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, it's, it's in the, it's in the culture. Now people mention it, they've heard of it. It's not this thing. That's why I had the courage to actually put it on the cover uh, of the book that's coming out that you got the book that you're referring to is not even published yet, but it's within the next couple of weeks, it will be. And I hope that you're, uh, folks can, uh, we'll give them the information to get to it here at the end. But uh, there's a whole, there's a section in there on what, 
uh, actually unpacking what trauma is because most people have no clue and we all have it and it is running the world. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to live long enough to see this happen, but uh, if, if everyone would start working on their trauma, the wars would stop because I'm telling you what's happening is uh, I'm butthurt. (laughs) I love that phrase, by the way, butthurt because somebody did something to me, but really what's happening is I am my, my old trauma is being stimulated, but I don't know that. And it just pisses me off. And I want to send a rocket at somebody in mm. response to it. And then they want to send a rocket back to me. And no one knows that what they're really trying to do is um, work out their childhood issues. I mean, you can kind of see it with certain politicians who act like a big baby. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's obvious there's, there's less, it's, it's harder to see with, with other folks sometimes, <laughs> But uh, the short version of the trauma tree, which is the the teaching tool that I use to teach about trauma, uh, the the bottom line is we are being run by unconscious forces. And it takes a group to be able to turn our attention inward and do some healing so we're not triggered by all the external stuff. Is that is that yes. a good intro to that? I don't know. Yeah. I could launch into the five types of trauma if you want, if you want me to do it quickly. Yes, actually I do. Just just a, just a cliff notes of, of, of them because it's really important for people to understand because they are literally saying, well, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. Right. You know, my mom was good or my dad was good. <laughs> that's the, that's the, that's the best one right there. It's uh, I, I've done several workshops, like 300 of these uh, intensive trauma healing workshops. And one of them that we did for men called the Braveheart Experience, I would have the men come in and sit down with me and we'd talk a little bit before they go into the process. And I'd mention the word trauma and my my, uh, personal research uh, and memories say about 62.4% of the responses to that is uh, was, uh, I'm from a good family. I don't have any. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's a misnomer. It's a, it's a non sequitur. What do you mean? You're from, what does that have to do with trauma? Well, what that points at is we don't know what trauma, we don't know what it is. And it, it comes in, uh, you know, one way to teach it is the trauma tree, the five roots of trauma. One is, uh, abuse. That's the one everybody thinks of, right? Sexual, physical, verbal, uh, comes in with impact, right? That's, Mm. uh, the only, and the, the second one that people think of is some kind of shocking incident that usually gets a PTSD, uh, label post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, diagnosis, right? It's the kind of shock that like if some, something happened that was intense, a car accident, uh, war zone experiences, uh, other, in, intense divorce, uh, divorce, suicide, really intense uh, intrusions on the psyche, and then if something similar to it had, like if you were in a you were in a war zone and somebody drops a pencil and you completely revolt because your body is on uh, the nerves are on alert at all times. This is what this is. Uh, these are the two types of trauma most people think. Uh, is the is the uh, entirety of trauma, abuse, and shocking incidents. Now, if you've had anybody listening that's had those experiences, 
you only have one advantage over the rest of the folks. And that is that uh, you probably know where your work is. It's pretty obvious, right? Uh, but uh, it's not a great, it's not a, a great aspect. It's uh, just one of the, one, one of the, you know what you need to work on. Of course, uh, it, uh, uh, my excessive fear is got to be partially rooted in those uh, abusive or shocking uh, experiences. Hmm. Now, for uh, the giant part of our human population, the other parts of the uh, uh, roots of the trauma tree are, are relevant, extremely relevant. In fact, it's probably running the show more than the other uh, more intense intrusions. Um, one is abandonment, and it comes in a lot of forms. Physical, the, the main two categories are physical abandonment and emotional abandonment. If you're from a family that had mental illness or addiction, you were abandoned. They were not emotionally available, and in many cases, were not physically available. There's mm. uh, right, so that's that's a huge one for many of us, and we could you know do a podcast on each one of these roots. Probably oh, the, the next right, and then the next one is neglect, and neglect usually refers to the basic needs: uh, food, water, uh, shelter, and then you know you can expand that to love and. So if you're from a family that had uh, a lot of distress, dysfunction, or even a little bit of distress, dysfunction, addiction, mental illness, there was neglect. There was uh, there were times when the kid was hungry. There's times when, are we going to have a house this week? Now, there's parts of neglect and abandonment that are not intentional. You know, it's like if you're from a military family and got dragged around to 42 different places to live, you're going to have some displacement fear about mm. where, where do I belong in this world? Uh, if somebody had it was a single parent family and somebody had to work all the time and they weren't there all the time. I mean, that's a certain kind of abandonment that's not intentional, but it's not a question of whether it's intentional or not. It happened and it has mm. to be addressed because it's mm. running the show otherwise. See, what happens when we have trauma is it gets lodged in the body and it, it, it and it runs messages in our head and, it, and we are running like robots on these messages until we do the healing. And the biggest one, the last root of the trees we call enmeshment. This is probably the most under acknowledged and most uh, the thing that affects our, our cult, our, our uh, human culture more than anything else. Enmeshment is when we adjust ourselves in a dysfunctional family to accommodate uh, some kind of dysfunction in the family. In other words, there's, you know, like the superstar kid becomes the one to balance out the other kid in the family who is the, mm -hmm. the, 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 the F up the, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the, the bad kid or there, and then there's an addict maybe in the family. So mom becomes or dad becomes the enabler, right? We all take on these different roles mm -hmm. uh, to try to account and codependency is the main result. We become not ourselves. We become whatever the system needed us to be. So that's, that's the very, sh you know, kids grow up too quick or they are infantilized. Like in my case, my mom rushed into the school many times to bail me out of consequences because it was uncomfortable for her. It wasn't good for me because I found out the hard way in my adult years that there are consequences in life. I don't know if you know that Denise, but there are. And, uh, uh I found out the hard way, but I, uh, I was kind of infantilized by my mom uh, and, you know, other kids have to grow up quick to take care of parents. So there's many pieces to this, 
uh, thing that, that form our personality, but it's not even our personality. It's simply a response to the dysfunction in the family. All right. Oh. That is my not very short uh, <laughs> intro. It was so good. Trauma. It was so good. I hope people who are like listening and like writing down, because this is absolutely could be a full seminar and lecture about all of these things. And uh, you definitely touch upon it. And I'm so excited that people who are invested in their personal development and recovery will dive more into that. But I just wanted to like zero in on a couple of things that you you said. First and foremost, what in the world were you jailed for? <laughs> I just want to uh, know. <laughs> which time? Uh, <laughs> uh, one, uh, well, several, probably the, the most times I was jailed for was just warrants that I hadn't paid because I was just completely unconscious. I had one, uh, I got caught with drugs one time. Uh, let's see what else. Um, I think that's it mostly. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, I had a couple Oh, public intoxication too. There was one, one time I should have, I, I, I should be 40 years sober, except in my day, you could pull up to a stop sign, be drunk, fall asleep at the stoplight or stop sign, be woken up by a police officer and told to, Hey, get home. Right. In my day, that ain't happening anymore, apparently. Uh, but, uh, cause that happened to me more, uh, uh, two times exactly like that. And a couple of other times, similarly, um, uh, one time I did get a public intoxication because he, uh, the, the, the officer told me, all right, I'm going to give you one chance. You get, you wake up, you drive home right now. So <laughs> I woke up and I started heading home. I looked in my rear view mirror. I didn't see him. I did a U-turn and went back to the bar and he came right in behind me and arrested me shaking his head. So that, that's just a couple of the experiences, uh, in my other life. Uh, it just, it really does seem like a, another life too. It's all part of us, you know, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, and even no, no matter how far the scale we've gone, we can always remember it so we can be able to share it with other people in a, in a new light. But anyway, I wanted to talk with, about with this idea of shocking events. You reminded me about this book by Dan Harris, 10% uh, Happier, and he was a war correspondent, he was a journalist, the author, and he literally got PTSD from absorbing uh, people being uh, amputated because of grenades or IEDs blowing up near kids. He saw horrific things and he literally became traumatized from all that, even though he thought everything was fine. And we, you talk about in your book a lot about some of us have been gotten so hyper-stimulated by reading stuff about politics and war stories and all that stuff. And we are literally inadvertently traumatizing ourselves, even through reading through some of this content or, or observing it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, we, there's a lot of different ways to talk about it, but the, depending on our wounds, I'll just say it that way, depending on how we got hurt as children, depending on uh, what we are trying to unconsciously work out, right? That is what we're going to be drawn to. Those are the conflicts that we're going to be drawn to. Uh, I, there was a lot of conflict in my childhood related to my mom was for some reason always screaming at my dad. My dad was shutting down emotionally and actually... <laughs> Uh, if I look at my history of my relationships, those are exactly almost the exact kind of conflicts that I 
was exposed to as a kid, right? So the only the only way to heal is to notice that that's what's happening, right? And the only way to notice is to be around other people that are doing the work. <clears throat> and uh, I can talk a little before we get out of here. Let's talk about some uh, uh, options for folks that want to do something about being in these uh, reactive patterns that we're we're in. And when you know, you'll find if you want to see what your patterns are, go ahead and look at your social media arguments. <laughs> and right and take a step back and uh uh that's why i had to take a huge step back I, you're seeing the twitter uh connection that you and i have is new uh i absolutely had to push eject on all social media for over a year just for my own self-care <clears throat> oh no you and me both i mean i it, it's so hilarious like when our energies are aligned for a higher platform we will meet people who are more aligned with it yes you know wherever yeah. we are and actually i'm so glad that you're saying like let's talk about some tools and resources we spend a lot of time talking about the, the junk right <laughs> but there right. is a a brighter path ahead and i love the fact that you're an artist at heart and yeah. you've infused a lot of your earlier training into your therapeutic work and yeah. I would like to talk with you about this idea of psychodramatic exercises. Well, obviously, let's now, define what it is. And then let's talk um, about what that looks like as part of our healing work. Another beautiful rabbit hole that we'll uh, <laughs> try, to do, try to do briefly. Um, there's a, a couple thousand years ago, there's a civilization known as the Greeks. And uh, they were doing rituals up in the hills, the Dionysian rituals, kind of debauchery. There's a lot of wine, a, a lot of sex and wine involved, I think, if I, if I uh, have that history correct. But uh, there was some wise dudes who decided, well, wait a minute, this is a pretty powerful way to do, uh, to get our feelings out and to heal as a culture. Let's bring it down out of the hills and put it on the stage. <clears throat> And that's that was the beginning of uh, what we know as theater today. The the idea of enacting uh, mythological uh, 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 mythological truths for the purpose of creating what they called catharsis, which is an emotional reaction to a story that we see out in front of us. Because it's very difficult to see what's going on inside of us because we are fish in a fishbowl. Uh, and we don't even know that we're a fish or that there's a bowl or, there, or that there's water. We're just in here, right? We have to step out and have someone who enact our fish in a bowlness. <laughs> I just made up. That's a, that's a new word. Fish in a bowlness. Uh, hey, I have, like it. We have to get enough distance from ourselves. And that's why 12 step recovery works is because you're sitting in a circle. Somebody across the way is telling your exact story and it hits like, wow, I didn't even realize that about me. And uh, uh, so we have to do uh, the, the healing, the, the psychodynamic path of healing requires some kind of getting some distance from ourselves. Psychodrama is the very best of all of the, uh, all of the techniques for doing that. Psychodrama is a giant body of work uh, that I have extracted several, I have many uh, hundreds of hours of training, but I'm not a certified psychodramatist. Uh, the folks that have committed to their their life to that are the master shamans on our planet right now, and uh, 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 it's hard to 
kind of explain uh, uh, in a really uh, concise way what it is, but I'll give it a shot. Uh, J.L. Moreno is the founder of Psychodrama, and he, he began by getting people, dif different ethnic groups, to switch roles with each other to get an experience of what it's like to be that. And then they come back into their own role and have a much different perspective on uh, the world. It's, a, it's just a way to break through our rigid egos to realize that we're all connected <clears throat> in, a, in a psychotherapeutic, uh, psychotherapeutic model. It's more about tell we we stand up. We it's a, usually a two hour process, uh, a, a classical psychodrama, uh, where you stand up and say something from your current life, and it usually works into being something from our childhood that gets enacted. There's usually a grief because uh, uh, grief is the river that a uh, river of healing that we're all trying to avoid, right? What we call pain. Uh, there's usually a river of grief in there. And then the river usually leads to some kind of joy that we've never felt before because it's been under pressure. It's been locked away. Uh, pick somebody to play dad, pick somebody to play mom, pick somebody to play uh, the dog that you lost when you were seven. It's a, it's a community of folks who are choosing to feel the feelings and bring our story into the full flow of our soul, right? As opposed to, uh, there's other techniques such as EMDR uh, that many of us, uh, it's kind of the go-to for, for uh, PTSD now when people are unable to function. It takes, uh, it takes us, uh, it kind of tricks the brain to not be focused on that uh, reactivity. And, but it doesn't necessarily, and, you know, mature practitioners of EMDR will agree that it's not the whole animal. It's not the whole solution because it doesn't necessarily take our story and integrate it into our lives. <clears throat> it's part of who we are. Psychodrama does a really good job of that. And when that is combined with bioenergetics, which is really getting down into the body to access that lodged trauma, and that's the combination that we use at uh, a weekend that I facilitate called the Deep Waters Experience. Anybody interested, it's deepwatersrecovery.com. And we do five or six of those uh, intensives uh, per year. And it's a, uh, the centerpiece of it has a lot of psychodramatic and bioenergetic components to it. All right. That's my another long winded <laughs> okay. short answer. <clears throat> hey, well, hey, I really want people to have the appetite to want to learn more. So if they love this, they're going to love <laughs> diving more deep and understanding themselves. So that's how I think about it. And for those who are listening, EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy was created by um, Francine Sapiro. Um, you can look more about that. Uh, we're not going to talk about that because neither one of us are emotive therapists on that regard. So, but it's just something that's wonderful that is available. I want to talk about now social metric exercises. Right. Sociometry is, is another uh, set of tools that was developed by Moreno, the psychodrama guy. And it's uh, the, now, now the sociometric tools, it's not rocket science and neither is psychodrama, but to be a good psychodramatist, it takes a lot of training and supervision and time to become uh, intuitive and uh, enough to use those tools. So the sociometry is, are, is usually used as a warm up. Uh, to psychodrama and any kind of group uh, healing work. Uh, so anybody that wants to look into 
the sociometric process or sociometry as related to psychodrama. You can learn some really good things to warm a group up with. Uh, it's another way to check in. You could, there's a couple of ways. One, you could sit in a circle. All right, let's have a check-in. Okay. I'm Bob. I'm feeling sad. I can feel it in my body. Uh, yes, my daughter went away this weekend and got in trouble and I felt pain. Okay. Next, right. We could do that. Or we could stand up and somebody could say, uh, all right, anyone who has a daughter uh, in this group, take a step forward. Right. And then you get a whole picture of the entire group. Who are the parents here, right? You get so much more information through sociometry than you do just letting people talk. Talking is is a is a, is way overrated uh, as a as a healing mechanism. But that's uh, there, there's many, uh, and then you can take another step in if you've lost a child. <laughs> if you want, and you can take these things to, uh, you can take, use sociometry to really bring the feelings forward in the group. Uh, it does take a little bit of skill to make sure that you do it sequentially. So you don't just drag people into the most intense, uh, mm. feelings right from the beginning, but it's, uh, very useful. This is a great time for me to, uh, quote another little excerpt from your book. <laughs> Quote, I have led hundreds of creativity classes and workshops and have seen the magic of simply putting a crayon in a 40-year-old man's hand for the first time since childhood. There is a deep group trance state induced by passing out chunks of clay. Often tears come forth from people who, who find their decades buried voice. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't have snagged that if you didn't have some of that experience yourself. <laughs> right, Denise. It's uh, I I taught classes at the Young Center, uh, the uh, the CG Young Center in Houston uh, on men's work, but also I did a regular creativity class. I taught uh, sometimes the artist's way. Some of you are familiar with Julia Cameron's uh, book. It's the seminal book on creativity, the artist's way, uh, and. Uh, Many 40-year-old people, 30, 40, 50, whatever, uh, who have not touched a crayon or touched clay or used paints since they were a little kid. I'm telling you, it cracks open the emotions for sure. Uh, cracks open those places that we packed away because of the the aforementioned trauma, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, I mean, you're a writer. You're you, when, when you got into this recovery path, you started cracking open your creativity, right? Oh, absolutely. There's no way you can relate to somebody unless you allow yourself to relate with for yourselves and tap it into those areas that you thought were insignificant, immature, childish beneath you, because you realize that those messages were coming from people who didn't allow themselves to feel emotions no. as well. But that's, just, that's a completely different subject. <laughs> yeah, the little kid in me, the little kid, the, a lot of this work is about getting back to that child and not, not to be acting child, childish, I suppose, or whatever, uh, whatever that is. Uh, but in our adult world, I mean, there, we've got to, you know, things to be functional as adults with, but, uh, there is a wisdom around our authenticity that we left behind a long time ago. And creativity is a good doorway back to it. Yeah. This is, I know, I, I hate to say this, but I have to mention it because it's worth mentioning. I've had a lot of people talk with me about dreams 
And they think that dreams are just about, oh, I just had indigestion <laughs> or I d- didn't really think it was that big of a deal. But yeah. would you speak just a little, a little bit about as you're recovering the impact of your dream life? Yeah. Well, Jung, Dr. Jung, that uh, talked a lot about uh, ways to access the unconscious, right? Because you and I both know that we know nothing. (laughs) Don't we? (laughs) Haven't we figured that out by now that we know less than 1% of ourselves and the world. And we act like we do. We we've got the, we, everything we see is reality based on my perception. Right. But my perception is almost, uh, not measurable. It's so tiny, right? So, but if, so if we want to grow, we've got to relax this ego of ours that thinks we know all. And once we find ways to do that through recovery, therapy, uh, creativity, uh, whatever it takes to relax that ego and allow some of that unconscious material that some people call what's the, what, so let me, here, here's a little trivia uh, question for you. What is, when people say, uh, I have a dream, what kind you know, I have a dream. I want to tell you, what's the word that they use most to describe, uh, uh, their dream. What kind of a dream did they have? Uh, I'm at, I'm asking you, what's the word that most people use? I've been studying this for a while. Oh gosh. Now you're stumping <laughs> me. It depends but, on like where, where they are. Cause I, like it, they, it, 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 they always think they're dreaming about other people, but it's always about themselves. Always. Yeah. That's, that's one of the ways to look at dreams that there's, I'm part of it, but you're going to know, you're going to know what I'm talking about. I didn't really ask the question. Well, but it's most people say, uh, well, I had this really weird dream. They almost always refer to it as weird, weird. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. It's a, it's an interesting dynamic because we, uh, anything that we don't understand, we put, we call weird, right? It's it's very different. It's really not part of me. It just happened to me. It's weird. Oh, okay. Let's move on. Well, uh, uh, you know, Jung talked about two particular ways to uncover the unconscious and the unconscious is vast. And we, the the only, we just don't know the language. It speaks a language to us every night in our dreams. The other uh, interesting uh, thing that people say is I don't dream. (laughs) Everybody dreams. And it's just a question of whether your ego allows you to remember it or not, because Mm. those images are quote weird and they make us have emotions. They are all emotion driven. So Jung's two ways of uh, uncovering the unconscious is dream analysis and what he uh, referred to as uh, uh, the creativity. Uh, All of the uh, uh, active imagination is the phrase he used, meaning all of the creative uh, expressions, right? Whether it's painting or writing or anything that gets us below the level of our intellect, which knows nothing, we think it knows everything everything. And once we can let go of that and allow the unconscious material to come to the surface, but you know, in whatever degree we, we can tolerate it. Uh, and it takes practice and, uh, you know, artists are pretty, are pretty good at it. It's also artists are also pretty good at self-medicating because when, if you're, if you're not allowing that material to come up in a healthy way, it's going to, uh, it's pretty, it can be pretty distressing, right? So it's good to have a guide and it's good to be in a group of folks who are, 
or who are healthy and uh, unmedicated. <laughs> of course, oh, that's, yeah. tricky. that's tricky these days. Uh, the solution to most psychiatric problems these days, uh, psychiatric problems are some kind of medication and uh, the go-to intervention for heroin use is more heroin. And uh, now apparently for the uh, psychedelics are the solution for everything else. So it's tricky, <laughs> but oh, yeah. uh, it's uh, my, don't get me started on that one uh, too oh. late, <laughs> but uh, yeah, dreams, dreams are uh, telling us the truth. Most people think it's just a dream. Yeah. Thank you. It is the entire emotional truth that we have repressed and to the degree to which we can accept that and try to learn the language of dreams, which is all metaphorical. And we're a very literal culture. We don't know about metaphor, right? We we just want to know what does it mean? <laughs> you know, okay. Thank you. Uh, most Jungian folks would encourage, uh, uh, as opposed to analyzing it down to its uh, meaning, would encourage responding to uh, dream images with some kind of an artistic expression, which is to allow it to expand rather than try to reduce it into analytical terms. <clears throat> All dreams are meant to help you, even if they're scary or weird, weird they yeah. are guiding you. And as you're starting to reconcile and understand what had happened and what's happening to you, you're like, as you said, your ego is starting to put down this defenses. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Eric Byrne, transactional analysis, and mm -hmm. the, the idea of our, our shoulds and must voices from our parents and that can just quiet down for a moment. And the expressive kid can really express what it wanted all along. Yeah. And I definitely believe that all of us, as we're learning more about ourselves, can be a creative and our conscious as well as our unconscious state. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a deeper dive into all of this. I wrote a book 10 years ago called The Creative Fire, 10 Weeks mm. to Emotional and uh, Creative Fitness. I don't know why I put fitness. I think I just read some uh, some book on fitness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounded maybe, good, right? Maybe somebody would buy it if they thought it was about fitness of some kind. But uh, <laughs> but actually, that's a pretty good, that's on Amazon too. That's if somebody's actually interested in this particular conversation, there's an unpacking there. It's a, it's an opportunity. It's a, it's a workbook of sorts to bring more artistic expression into your life, but also to, uh, to, to kind of study the wisdoms of each of the art forms, like photographers can see the details of life and painters can see color in a way that I can't. And, uh, actors, I'm a theater guy, you know, I think we have a certain spontaneity that, uh, can be developed. So anyway, I had fun writing that book too. <laughs> we're we're going to make sure that people know where to reach you and obviously your resources. And actually, if there's any kind of main point of this conversation, what would it be? Because I know we talked about so many different things, but what do you really want people just to take hold of? Well, it's. Uh, I, uh, let's see. Uh, trauma is running the show. That's the short mm -hmm. one. Trauma mm -hmm. is running, unresolved trauma is running everything. Mm. And 
I don't, to me, that's the big, that's the big thing that we need to address on every, I don't care what topic you can start any topic you want. And I'll be thinking, yep. Unresolved trauma. Yep. That's what's running that problem. Oh yeah. <laughs> Couples come to me, you know, everybody that comes into a therapist's office, let's just keep it to couples right now. Underneath it all, they're saying this person across from me is the problem. And can we get him straightened out, please? <laughs> you know, and I listened to it for a while and it's just obvious to me, it's individual trauma. Mm. If, if you want the relationship to work out, you've got to resolve some of your own stuff and then look at each other and see if you even recognize each other anymore. Because most of us choose our partners to fix all of our problems as opposed to from a, a place of clarity. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, we're all searching for the hurt that needs to be healed. And uh, that's, that's a whole lot, another conversation, yes. but that is um, a whole nother bag. of words. <laughs> Where can people find you and just continue this conversation and obviously get into workshop and just work on their healing? Well, the best portal I think is uh, bobbear.com. And from there, you can reach me personally. Uh, you can find your way to the books and to online courses. Uh, you can find, if you send me a note about the workshops, I can uh, direct you to deepwatersrecovery.com where we do uh, these three-day intensives. But bobbear.com, B-O-B-B-E-A-R-E.com. Uh, and then if you're a Twitter person, then it's at Dr. Bob Bear, B-E-A-R-E. I'm glad that you mentioned that as well, because you definitely pop in and, and share some very, wow, potent uh, messages on Twitter. <laughs> and you caught my eye, definitely, because you you literally let it rip on there. So I, I'm, it's always exciting to uh, see you just active and, and, and relating with people. You know, Dr. Bob, I've always just... Um, just so grateful for the obviously our conversations and the conversation that we have right now. And I'm hoping that people who are listening will not just listen, but obviously take action, making sure that they connect with you, making sure that they are investing more in their health, emotional and spiritual health, especially for entrepreneurs who are constantly taking risks all day, every day, that they understand that they're not inadvertently sabotaging their own goals um, based on unresolved issues. And so those of you guys who are listening, if you like this podcast, make sure that you obviously share, write a review, all that fun stuff, because we want to amplify this message. We want to share with other people that there is options that we don't have to just suffer in silence and um dr bob anything else that you wanted to add before we kind of close things up i think that's it what a pleasure thank you for your service denise uh you're doing great work oh, and you as well so for all of you guys who are listening please invest in yourself and invest in your future take care and be awesome <laughs>